We're in Numbers chapter number 15 tonight. And I'll just have to say tonight's message is going to be super bottom shelf. It will be helpful, I think, and comforting to review, but it's going to be at the very bottom shelf. I don't know about you, but I'm running on the backside of nothing, and I'm looking into people's faces who are about the same there. So we'll probably actually get out a little early tonight. I don't think I've ever had anybody complain about that. Um, and so we'll probably be out a little earlier tonight. Um, but let's see what the Lord will teach us. Numbers chapter number 15, verse number 41. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Title of this evening's message, believe it or not, I am the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, you know the needs of our heart. You know the truth that needs to be reviewed you know the encouragement that we need, the chastening we need. You know all that we need this evening. And we're not counting on our own mind, on our own mouth, but on your spirit to teach us your word. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Most of you are, like me, a little tired tonight. And it would be very easy to just let the next few moments pass, get our time in, be done, and go home. Let's try not to do that this evening. Try to get your mind into the game. I want you to take this passage of Scripture and act like you are a detective. You have been given this document, this one phrase, this one verse, and I want you to think of all of the facts that you can from this one piece of evidence. If you were a detective, look at this one verse and try to come up with all the facts that you can come up with with these. I mean, it's a very short verse and it repeats itself actually, but come up with as many facts as you can. What points would you make from this? I know you can just sit there I don't have that luxury. So I want you to use your brain, look at the verse. I'll give you a couple of seconds here. What can you learn from this verse? What are the facts? By the way, did you hear that weird sound on the roof? That was rain. <laughs> it's been so long since we heard it. Have you found any facts from this particular Passage of Scripture. Yeah, we're about to make an <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I actually have one, two, three, four, five. I have five facts from this passage. There's probably more than that, but I have five. Sorry for making you use your brain tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand up, Mary, and tell all five of yours. 
if looks could kill, I'd be dead right here. <laughs> and everybody else is kind of shrinking down inside. The... No, I'm not going to ask you your five or your two or whatever you got. Okay, let's get into this. Now that hopefully you've had your mind at work, let me give you an easy one. Number one, fact number one from this passage of Scripture, there is a God. There is a God. In this world, of course, this is always a debate. Is there a God or isn't there? We have discussed this at length, and you could all stand up and give an explanation of this and defend our position that there is a God, so we won't take the time to do that this evening. But this is a point. There is a God. Suffice it to say, in my world, the theory of evolution has so many problems that I cannot find enough faith to believe that. The evidence for God, on the other hand, is overwhelming. And so there is a God. But beyond proving God's existence, think about what it means that there is a God. What does that mean? Well, there's lots of things, but there is a God. It means that you were created on purpose. Get your mind to wrap around that. There is a God, which means you were created on purpose. There is a God, which means that chance does not rule. God does. Get your mind to wrap around that. Chance does not rule. There is a God, and chance does not rule. There is a God, which means that you are not the top dog. You don't get to decide what is right and wrong. If we had evolved, then we could decide, hey, we're at the top of the food chain, and we can decide this is what we, is acceptable human behavior, and this is unacceptable human behavior. But we don't get that option. It has already been determined by God, and it is not up for debate. Just so you know, you know keep that in mind. When this world tries to, to blend their philosophy and their ideas into your thinking and into your moral code, you realize they're trying to do that all the time. God has set definite things, rights and wrongs. And the world is constantly trying to blend in their thinking into that. And I, Dad mentioned it on uh, Wednesday night. We got a, a, a document that came through that somebody had sent us that said that only 40% of Christian pastors actually have a biblical worldview. Get your brain to wrap around that. Only 40% of the pastors, actually the people in the pew have, uh, of the people in the pew had a higher um, biblical view than the pastors of the churches did, which is kind of shocking. And youth pastors only had, uh, I think, a 10% or less biblical worldview, which is kind of dangerous. Anyway, don't let the world blend. There is a God, and he has already set the rights and wrongs. So our first thought we can come up with here is that there is a God. Number two, he communicates. God communicates. Now, if you go into almost any foreign country, almost every one of them will have trinket shops where they're selling idols. When Carol and I were in Mexico the first time on a cruise, we, had a, we took a tour, and there was a guy on the tour bus. And this tour bus, all the way out to where we were going, this guy was trying to sell us, sell everybody on the bus, these carved stone figures. I just thought they were some kind of touristy thing. Until he was explaining the fact that if you polished them and then you put them in a certain place in your house so they got the right amount of sunlight, 
it would create good luck within your house. And then he proceeded to tell us how often he polished his and where he put it in his house to keep the good luck flowing. This was an idol. Yes. And I, I thought, how sad of a thing would it be to have a God with a stone mouth? To have to polish your God all of the time. Hoping that whatever happened, you move him around in the house and hopefully you can get him sitting in the right spot to where he's influencing you, your house for good. But I guess the good thing would be if something accidentally happened to your God, you could go get another one for five or ten bucks from the tourist guy. Can you think, put your mind to wrap around that. To have a God that's made out of rock that you have to polish every day. What foolishness. God communicates. And he doesn't need some slick salesman who is more interested about making an American dollar than him. He doesn't need that guy to do his talking for him. God speaks for himself. I am the Lord your God. You actually have a copy of what he said in your hands and he still speaks through that word to you. You have a God who communicates. There is a God and he, communica he communicates. Number three, he is a personal God. He's a personal God. He doesn't say, I am God. He, says, he makes it personal. He says, I am your God. Of course, this passage is dealing specifically with the Jews. But get your mind to thinking here. How does God reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush? Who does, how does he identify himself at the burning bush? He says, I am the God of I think I heard it. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is he saying? These weren't the nations. These were, these were individuals. God is not some way out unfeeling force or being. He is a close, personal God. I am your God. So we have, there's a God. He communicates. He's personal Number four, he is powerful. He is powerful. I like a lot of Old Testament stories, but one of my favorite Old Testament stories is in 1 Samuel chapter number five. It's kind of a tragic situation in Israel. They lose the Ark of the Covenant. That's a big deal. They lose the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. So the Philistines grab a hold of this thing. You know, the, the Israelites are supposed to be invincible when they've got this thing. And sure enough, the, the Philistines win. So now they have this war trophy. So they haul this war trophy into, back to home, and they take it to the house of their god, Dagon. What a great story. <laughs> they, haul this, they, they haul it in there, and they set this thing, this war trophy, in there next to Dagon. They come in there the next morning, and Dagon is laying on his face in front of the altar, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now try to picture in your mind if you were one of those guys. Can't you see them <laughs> kind of look both ways <laughs> and pick the <laughs> try to pick this thing up? 
pick a, if I stomp a little dirt underneath and try to shim in the front so that doesn't happen again. Can't you see them? How embarrassing to have to pick your God up. And so, so they get him all stood back up. Okay, things are, nobody knows about it. Things are looking good here. The next morning they come, and he's gone over again. Only this time he fell toward the threshold, and it knocks his hands and his head off. <laughs> and all that's left is a stump. <laughs> what do you do with a stump? <laughs> do you stand that back up? <laughs> I just think that is so funny. <laughs> all you've got is this rock stump. <laughs> and I don't know if you do. You try to put the head back on. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of things you could think about on that. Uh, now, you would think that at that moment, you would have some serious questions about your God. And what do they do? From that point on, this is actually, I laugh, but it's actually a really sad thing. From that point on, their answer to the situation is, never step on a threshold going into the house of Dagon ever again. How would you like to have a God who got beat up by the door threshold? <laughs> Can you imagine if your God was so weak that you have to stand him back up? My friends, you have a God who is powerful. He says, I am the Lord. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now put that in its historical context. This is the glory days of Egypt. This is when Egypt is a world power. They are dominating the whole world. Now, if you've ever traveled to a foreign country, like if you go on a cruise or on some tour thing, what the tour guy will say to you when you're getting ready to go out into the country, into that, you get off the boat or whatever and go into that country, what they'll say to you is, do not get yourself into trouble in this country. Because the United States is not going to go to war to get you out of jail. Okay, that's pretty good advice. Think about China or Russia or the United States. Okay, those are the world powers right now. Think about if you got locked up in one of those countries. And they did not want to let you go. What would it take to get you out of China. Now, we're not talking some political deal here where we pay a million bucks and get you out. Or, uh, you know, you, we'll give you a trade embargo and these kinds of things. We're not talking about a deal like that. If you had to go in by force and pull you out of China, if they had to go in by force and pull you out of Russia, what would that take? And the answer is, I'm not sure that could be done. You'd have to go to a full-scale war to get someone out. And I'm just not sure that could even be done. Try to think about removing someone from the United States if we didn't want to let you go. What does God do? He so thrashes Egypt that they are a world power and they are absolutely destroyed. And when they are so happy to see the children of Israel leave that they're giving them their wealth to carry out with them. There is nothing left of this world power. Because God says, my people are going to leave. What does this tell you? He is a 
powerful God. You know that coming out of Egypt is a picture of salvation. The destruction of Egypt is a picture of the destruction of the devil and his power. Colossians 2, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You have a powerful God. He is a, he, there is a God. He communicates. He's personal. He's powerful. And number five, he operates with purpose. He operates with purpose. Do you know that power doesn't always have purpose? You know, I like old sayings, so here's another old saying. He's like a bull in a china shop. What does that mean? It means that this bull has all kinds of power, but his bulk sometimes just gets thrown around and things get broken for no reason whatsoever. All this, everything's getting shattered, but there's no purpose behind it. God is powerful. But what did he use the power for? Now read the verse and answer that question. What did God, he's powerful, but what did he use the power for? I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. There's the power. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why? To be your God. His power had a purpose. Why did God bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The reason he did that is so he could show the world what it was like to have him as a God. The Egyptians had thousands of gods that did nothing for them. And God says, I'm going to take you out of there so I can show the world how good it is to have me for your God. Since being taken out of Egypt is a picture of salvation, then why did God save you? Why did he bring you out of Egypt? So that he could be your God. He never intended for you to trust him as Savior and then to just try to muddle through for the rest of your life. He planned on being your God and demonstrating to the world around you how amazing it is to have a God like him. That's why he brought you out. That's why he saved you. So that he could show the world through your life. God is amazing. He is powerful and he works with purpose. And it's really good to have him as my God. Are your co-workers your neighbors and your family members seeing that fact clearly? That you were brought out of Egypt so that God could display his amazing power through you so that people could see, wow, this is a God worth having. This God is really something. God wants to make himself known to the world through you. By being your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. There is a God, and he communicates. He's personal. He's powerful. And he operates with purpose. 
I am the Lord your God. Let's pray.